Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a special edition of Sox Machine Live. It is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. I am your host, Josh Nelson, and Major League Baseball will be returning next week for Spring Training 2.0. On this show, we will be reviewing how the 2020 season will be played, what will happen if a player tests positive of the coronavirus, and how the White Sox schedule will look in 2020. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The Players Association and the league finally came to terms and both parties will attempt to play baseball in 2020. What are your initial thoughts about how both parties are approaching this season? Well, as I wrote about uh, this morning, it seems like any excitement I have is quickly, I guess, countered by a very real headline saying, you know, that uh, somebody has coronavirus or there's an outbreak here or some sport was altered here or uh, some states have record cases and hospitalizations here. So my excitement is tempered. However, I am, I would say, uh, unabashedly happy that if baseball doesn't happen this year, if there is no season, it won't be because Major League Baseball and the Players Association couldn't find some sort of agreement to make it work. You know, it's not the happiest agreement. There was a lot of uh, uh, contention and a lot of leaks from the league side that tried to gin up resentment against the players. And uh, players had some missteps along the way that didn't really uh, make some fans all that supportive of what they're trying to accomplish. But in the end, it's a decent agreement for 
both sides. Uh, you know, could have been worse for each side. And considering it's a negotiation between two parties who don't like each other and don't trust each other, and we're trying to do it on the fly, it's not a bad outcome. So I think I'm, I'm celebrating that for now. Let's break down on everything that's going to be happening for the 2020 season, at least what is planned. And we're going to start first with training camp. Again, the training camp is going to start on July 1st, so a week from today as we are streaming and recording this. Players must report, though, in staggered groups three to four days prior to July 1st. So even though the camp doesn't start until July 1st, all players must report to their home cities uh, three or four days prior to so they could go through testing. Players who are living abroad, like the Dominican Republic, are currently working with the league and the United States government to expedite visas. If there are any snags in the process, those players could be arriving late to camp. If any player tests positive of the coronavirus, they will be placed on a special coronavirus injured list. There is no minimum or maximum amount of days a player could be on the list. If a player does test positive, they must quarantine themselves until they no longer show any symptoms and have a temperature below 100.4 degrees. Each team will be providing a list of high-risk individuals. If those players on the high-risk list decide to opt out of playing in 2020, they will be paid for the season and receive service time. If any player that lives with a high-risk family member They can opt out of playing in 2020, but they will need to work out payment details with their teams, and there is no guarantee that they will earn service time for the 2020 season. So that is the difference between a player that is a high risk and a player that has a family member that has high risk. Training camp will last three weeks at each team's home ballpark, and opening day is currently scheduled to be either on July 23rd or 24th for teams, so we are one month away from opening day 2020. As far as the players reporting to camp, up to 60 players for each team will report to camp, and the transaction freeze will be ending this upcoming Friday, June 26th, so general managers can make adjustments to the 40-man rosters, and we can assume that will be the case for all 30 teams. Jim, let's first focus on players reporting and the first initial test, because I see two hurdles here, and let's address hurdle one. Hurdle one for me is that I'm fairly confident that some White Sox players will test positive and will have to start camp on the coronavirus injured list. From a human aspect, that's terrible, and I really hope that it's a mild case and it does not impact them the long term. If you just want to look at it from a baseball perspective, those players are going to be delayed to for their ability to start opening day on the field. So what should White Sox fans keep in mind if a player does test positive? Well, one, as you mentioned, think of the human first because, you know, even though they are um, young and healthy and physically fit, uh, the the virus is unpredictable and there's a lot we don't know about it still. And there's a lot of stories about how it seems like recovery happens and then it comes back in another way, whether it's uh, further uh, lung trauma or blood clots. So it's... Uh, not exactly, you know, wait two weeks, even if they're asymptomatic and, and cross your finger or, or and, and say they're in the clear. You have, there's some finger crossing required. And so just, uh, you know, keep that in mind, because I think the players are going to be going through 
a lot trying to make it work. There are going to be players who are trying to you know, pay attention to the protocol and, and uh, obey it to the letter. And there's going to be players who are going to ignore it and compromise those uh, people who are trying their best to uh, you know, make it work. So that's really, I, I think, the, the biggest thing and, and really why I'm suspending kind of all expectations uh, for the season uh, until the season actually starts and we see what the roster looks like. Because it could be, you know, as we saw in Colorado with Charlie Blackman testing positive and two other Rockies, and I think he's the most prominent player to date. But uh, all it takes is one uh, player who gets there and doesn't know he has it. Temperature checks aren't... Uh, you know, foolproof when it comes to uh, sifting out players who you know might have it. There, there have been some spreaders who have not had fever. So, uh, all it takes is one who gets there and and you know doesn't actually maybe even do anything wrong. Just happens to be in places where uh, spreading is conducive, and it go, all goes haywire. So that's really, uh, I guess, you know, I keep coming back to that and why that just. Uh, makes me very skeptical that the season can proceed without a hitch. I think there could be hitches pretty quickly as you laid out. Yeah. Cause then the second hurdle is that not everyone's home ballpark is safe. Everyone is reporting and having their main spring training camp at the home stadium. Uh, the Detroit Tigers have officially announced that their taxi squad, as far as the minor leaguers that'll have to continue to be ready uh, in case of, players get sick or players get injured, uh, that home camp is going to be Toledo. We don't know where the White Sox taxi squad is going to be. It could be at the University of Illinois, Chicago, Curtis Granderson Field. That was one idea, and that's not far away from Guaranteed Rate Field, of course. But we don't know officially yet where the White Sox taxi squad is going to be. But since that everyone's going to their home ballpark, not everyone's home ballpark is safe. You just mentioned... Charlie Blackman, as he's already tested positive, and he tested positive after working out at Coors Field Gym. So do the Rockies need to find a temporary home until Coors Field is confirmed to be clean? Uh, And then the situation in Texas is getting pretty dire. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is now telling state citizens to stay at home. Uh, And we already know about the situation in Florida, especially around Tampa, and that impacts the Rays down in St. Petersburg. And, of course, the Toronto Blue Jays are they're not allowed to go back uh, to their home, uh, their home city. Uh, So where are the Blue Jays going to play? I mean, and and on top of all this, at any point, Major League Baseball, the, the league office has the power to relocate teams to a neutral site at any point this season. So now knowing that not everyone's home ballpark is safe as of right now, a week before camp starts, some teams don't have a home. It just seems like this is going to be a logistical nightmare to try to pull off in a week, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the more you more read about it. And I was going through the PDF because I found a copy of it. Uh, the Houston Chronicle posted online. So I downloaded it. I've been going through it. Just everything that's required to get a season off the ground when you have 30, 30 man teams like the NBA and NHL teams that are trying to run basically expanded versions of their postseasons can you know, cut some teams out they can do the bubble thing fewer players required on a team they don't need 60 players active so it stands a chance of that working and even then it might not work it's uh somebody likened it more to a mesh hat than a bubble when it comes to the nba that provides some cover but not uh you know it's not 
hermetically sealed. There's going to be things getting in. And should there be a lot of coronavirus, or at least uh, you know more than one case floating around, it should be uh, pretty easy to puncture that bubble and just make it uh, you know, untenable. So that's, uh, yeah, the more you talk about it and the more you think about it, the more it just seems like it's unfeasible. Um, the good news is for baseball, and we've talked about this before, is that, you know, back when Major League Baseball was trying to get off the ground and, you know, the league was applying pressure to the MLBPA to accept less than full pro-grade salaries and, you know, start you know, opening day could be on 4th of July, America, et cetera. Uh, yeah, the league could have been running this problem by itself, but I think with other sports having some issues, uh, yeah, we talked about it last week with uh, uh, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, for a non-baseball example, uh, uh, you know, in tennis, <laughs> the tennis uh, tournament in, I think it was Croatia that got uh, shut down because everybody basically had it, um, including Novak uh, Djokovic. You know, he, you know, he's probably the most... Uh, prominent person maybe since tom hanks you know, to get it so uh you know we're seeing other sports being affected by it and realizing how serious it is so if baseball can't make it work it won't be the first sport that failed to make it work and uh, it'll have company you know it won't be the sport that had so much hubris to think that it could actually uh you know include the whole map of the country uh, where different parts of the country are having different timelines and battling the uh, coronavirus and thinking that they could actually make it work. <laughs> I think if baseball fails, it won't be alone. Yeah, that's a good point, Jim. Training camp's going to be interesting. Again, when the players do arrive, and they're going to be arriving this weekend because they have to arrive again three to four days before camp starts to get tested, we're going to hear more, especially next week, closer to camp starting, that White Sox players are going to test positive. And again, on the human side, you have to hope that they recover and that it's just a mild case and it doesn't have any long-term lingering impacts for that player. But the fact that they're going to have to start camp in, in quarantine is going to impact that player's ability to be ready for opening day. Uh, so that could have great impact on all 30 teams on who is t testing positive. And with Charlie Blackman already testing positive, uh, that puts the, the Colorado Rockies in a tough situation right now because they're going to have to plan on playing without Charlie Blackman for most of uh, spring training 2.0. Now, go, moving from as far as the training camp over to the new rule changes. So these are some of the new rule changes for the 2020 season. And starting with one that I always felt was going to come down the pipeline, Jim, and this is the extra innings rule. There will be a runner starting on second base if a game goes into extra innings. Just like the minor leagues that we've seen the last two years, the last player to make it out in the ninth inning will be the runner on second to start the tenth inning. So in the bottom of the ninth inning, if Tim Anderson strikes out and the game goes into extra innings, in the bottom of the tenth inning, Tim Anderson is going to be starting on second base. There will be a universal DH for the 2020 season, which finally, uh, and then boo. any game, <laughs> you can boo all you want. It's the right way to go. Uh, any game that must stop before the fifth inning due to weather will carry on as a suspended game the next day. So, for example, if a game rains out in the fourth inning and there's no chance that both teams can return to play, both teams will try to play a doubleheader the next day, completing the suspended game first. If it's the last game of the series, that doubleheader will be scheduled for a later series. So 
No more canceled games and the, the results don't count if you don't get through the fifth inning. Uh, those results will continue on on to the next day as uh, the league will continue to try to play every single game of the 60-game schedule. There is a trade deadline, and it's August 31st. And the rosters, the active rosters, will be 30 players for the first two weeks of the season. And then they will be trimmed down to 28 players for the next two weeks. And then after the first month of the season, they will be trimmed down to 26 for the remaining of the season. Teams will have a three-man taxi squad that will travel with the team that will have at least one player on that squad being a catcher. So in case if the White Sox are playing in Minneapolis and somebody gets hurt, they have three guys that traveled with them that they can call up and join the active roster. So these are the some of the new and uh, I think most impactful rule changes for the 2020 season. And Jim, what do you think about the rule changes? Well, I, you know, I think the from a safety standpoint, from just the idea of trying to not get carried away with pretending that baseball is entirely real with the conditions uh, uh, imposed by the pandemic, that the runner on second doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, I don't like it overall just because, um, you know, in the case like the minor leagues where you're not really worried about wins and losses, you're just worried about development, makes sense to shorten games there. But I think baseball, you know, the the, the end product uh, at the major league level, it seems like a unique uh asset to just have these crazy long games that uh, no other sport really has and forces uh, compromised action and crazy action the way that uh, other sports aren't so limited by. And I uh, would hate to see that go even if you do do get more compact games that last like only 11, 12 innings at most. But I understand it for this reason. I think there is consistency there. Same thing with uh, uh, you know the DH being for this year. I you know, I wrote about it. I like seeing White Sox pitchers hit occasionally just to see what they look like. I just find it fascinating, curious. I like the competition among pitchers trying to hit. Uh, it's kind of like how position players always think they can pitch. And I like seeing uh, you know what they work on and how that manifests itself in the uh, in the course of a game. And I I will miss that if. Uh, pitchers hitting never comes back one rule change i'm not uh or i'm surprised didn't make the jump from the minors was the seven inning double header i thought that's something that could make sense especially if games are always suspended and never you know outright canceled and have to be restarted like say if uh, a team has to play double header and they're picking up in the third inning you'll play that game through nine innings or whatever and then Game two is seven innings. They do that in the minor leagues and seems to save wear and tear on arms. It keeps uh, uh, the time at the park pretty compact and uh, nobody really seems to mind or consider it a bastardized form of baseball. So it seems uh, like that could have been one rule change that came over and allowed teams to get in as many games as possible while keeping things pretty safe. And that's one I thought we might see. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I I like that idea, even in a 162-game season. And this is just kind of where I stand by. And I, I'm okay with the extra innings rule. I know a lot of people hate the idea because you're greatly influencing the game. If you want to move to ties after the 10th inning, I'm good with that too. I just don't think it is a good thing over a 162-game season to watch a 16-inning affair. 
because that could have lasting impact, especially if you're running out of pitchers and you're having position players pitch. There's just so much risk for a game that carries such little weight uh, over the course of a 162-game marathon. Obviously, that's different in a 60-game season, and we're going to talk about the schedule in a moment here because the games will carry a lot more weight. But moving forward, hopefully, if things return back to normal and we are going through 162-game seasons, uh, I would like both parties to rethink the extra innings because games going to the 15th and 16th inning in a middle-of-June contest uh, for a game that carries such little weight on the course of an entire season, I I don't think is smart. And it's best just to get these games out uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of goes back to pitchers hitting in a way. Uh, just, I guess, my logical consistency with liking both. I, I, I'm i a regular season enthusiast. I don't, you know, being a White Sox fan, you kind of have to be uh, because there's no uh, <laughs> October true. baseball to weigh around for. <laughs> but the things I like about the regular season are games that stand out to me that I remember for years later for weird things that happen and pitcher succeeding that's always memorable and and super long games where things got crazy or at the ballpark way longer than you thought you'd be or you're you're up way later than you thought you'd be because uh uh, it's it's you at home and and a few people on White Sox Twitter and 50 people in the stands and it's just surreal and and those are the things I remember and I think uh you know when you watch a hundred and something games like you know we watch that I tend to uh I find endearing the things that make games during a long season stand out, even if they are maybe potentially dangerous. Yeah, I guess that's where you and I differ then, Jim, because I'm looking for efficiency. Yeah, yeah, I I think uh, having seen a lot of efficiency already come to baseball, I think I I tend to and having championed some efficiency when it comes to, uh, you know, way pitchers are managed and the way, you know, rosters are built and so forth that I think I tend to like what inefficiency remains yeah you just like chaos though yeah like the philadelphia phillies game last year where the white Sox kept running on vince velasquez and he turned out to be the best left fielder the phillies has. yes that's what i'm talking about like you yeah. can't count on that <laughs> you don't uh if you're waiting around for that you're gonna be disappointed but when it surprises you it's awesome sure i mean it's fun but again it <laughs> I, it, it's just a moment. I don't know. I, I'm okay. Whatever they decide to do moving forward, but I, I don't think... I think there needs to be a limit on how many extra innings that you play. So even if you want to keep it normal, I, I think it's got to end after 10 or 12 innings. And then you got to figure out a way on how this ends. I, I'm okay with ties if you want to move to a points format. I, I know that is very non-traditional when it comes to baseball. But I just... I don't really see the point on teams, especially in a 60-game season, having to go through 15 or 16 inning slogs and try to play 60 games in 66 days. I think this is a smart move by baseball to try to quickly get through these games as quickly as possible, which is uh, their goal before the supposedly second wave of the coronavirus will hit in the fall if it does not hit sooner. So that's the rule changes for the 2020 season. Let's finally get into the 2020 White Sox schedule. So for each team, they're going to play 10 divisional games, and it will be three-game and two-game series home-and-home against their divisional rivals. And then their interleague rival, 
they're going to play six games against them. So the White Sox right now will play 10 games against the Twins, Indians, Royals, and Tigers, and they will play six games against the Cubs. Then filling out the rest of the schedule, they will play either a three-game or four-game series against their NL Central counterparts. So it's either going to be a three-game or four-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers, St. Louis Cardinals, Pittsburgh Pirates, and Cincinnati Reds. So, Jim, based on this schedule, as far as the format, I was thinking instead of a three-game or two-game series that it might be better just to do a five-game series against divisional opponents, knock it out, really reduce the amount of traveling each team has to do. Uh, But obviously that didn't come to fruition. And regardless, this schedule for the White Sox, focusing mostly on their division and games against the National League Central, might be tougher than expected. Yeah, especially when you have the Twins and Indians, uh, especially the Twins, you know, being as strong as they look, having so many games against them factor into the schedule an undue amount based on the, you know, what normally uh, constitutes the Twins proportion or portion of the uh, White Sox schedule. That's going to be tough. Indians too. All the White Sox have had some recent success against the Indians. Royals and Tigers, uh, are pretty favorable, although the Royals, I think, could be tougher than they look, depending on how they manage some of their their pitching depth, and and whether they have any success there. Um, yeah, it's. I was kind of hoping for a five game series. I'm not quite sure if it's possible when you have to factor in shorter series against interleague teams. Like that might have been something where just you can't get, make the travel schedule work when chunks of games are shorter, uh, especially so few off days where you can't you can't pad the schedule that way. Um, I was, I was going to say like five games against each team would have been fasting because you have to lay out your whole rotation. You know, one through five, you have to show how strong you are, how weak you are, try to make them line up as best as possible, but it might be limited, especially so few off days and maybe a double header thrown into where you can't really leverage starters. But with the way the schedule is carved up and, you know, when the schedule comes out, we'll have a post going through it. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it too on the show. Um, that you might see teams try to leverage pitchers like back the, back in like the Al Lopez days in the 50s and, and 60s where, you know, you try to throw Billy Pierce against the Yankees as much as possible, lefty against their lineup. And you could see the same thing, too, with the White Sox and Twins where, you know, the White Sox struggle against Jose Brios and the Twins try to make sure that Brios is ready for them. And uh, same thing like Mike Clevenger with the Indians. And you could see like the White Sox trying to save like maybe Reynaldo Lopez or Dylan Cease, whoever is their weaker starter to the Royals and Tigers while saving Giolito and uh, Keuchel for the Twins and Indians. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be some, uh, some some tough jobs for uh, Rick Renterio when it comes to trying to line up his guys. Because I think it's going to be, the lineup card is going to be more interesting uh, than usual day to day. And I think the uh, the pitching rotation might not be regular, especially early on. Say if they, you know, try to make it more of a spring training schedule, three innings, you might see more guys throwing on their side days to get extra wins. Uh, you're going to see some teams try to push some pitchers more than they're used to being pushed, I guess. And it, it's kind of like uh, October baseball arrived early in that regard. Dan Zaborski, our best friend of the show over at Fangraphs, released today the Zips projections for a 60-game season. And Zips believes the White Sox are projected to be a 31-29 and 29 team. So above 500, Jim. According to Zips, the losing streak will snap 
They will still finish third place in the American League Central, three games back at Cleveland for the final wild card. And the, the Indians are projected to finish one game behind the Minnesota Twins for the division title. So in the American League, Zip's projected playoff field for a 60-game season has the New York Yankees having home field advantage, the Houston Astros being the number two seed winning the American League West, the Minnesota Twins being the three seed winning the American League Central, so good news for them if this comes to fruition, they don't have to face the Yankees right away. And then in the wild card game, it will be the Tampa Rays against the Cleveland Indians. So the White Sox are projected to be in the thick of the playoff race in a 60-game season. And according to Zips, no team has increased their playoff odds more in a 60-game season than the Chicago White Sox. So maybe this will shorten schedule will really benefit the White Sox. But again, I think this schedule facing mostly teams in the American League Central and the National League Central is going to be tougher than expected because you could look at these teams, Jim, and you can say, you know what? Six of these teams could be 500 or better with the Reds, the Brewers, the Cubs, the Cardinals and the Twins, and the Indians, and along with the White Sox. Uh, so those three and those four, you can have as many as seven teams that could be 500 or better in a 162-game season. I don't think that's going to come into fruition in a 60-game season when they're battling each other. Someone's going to have to finish below 500 uh, unless the three bottom teams that I'm expecting are the Pirates, Royals, and Tigers are really bad. Yeah, the NL Central is fascinating, though, with the top four teams uh, you have the Cubs 32 and 28 winning the central four games over 500 next three teams are all 31 and 29. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an incredibly tight race in the national league central, like out of all the divisions that could be the one division where, yeah, 31 or 32 win team is going to win the division because it's just going to be a battle for 60 games and those games against the Cubs, we usually downplay. I mean, they're fun, the whole crosstown rivalry, but in 162 game season four or six games, it doesn't carry as much weight as the games against the twins, Indians and the Royals and the Tigers. Well, it still doesn't, but one tenth of your season now is against the Chicago Cubs. So that crosstown rivalry, even though fans won't be able to attend the games if those games are happening early in the schedule, uh, it carries a lot of weight. And there will be a lot more attention, especially in the city of Chicago, for the White Sox and Cubs because both teams need those games. Yeah, and and and, and to go back to your point about the White Sox playoff chances uh, improving more than any other teams because of the short season. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it a couple times. I wrote about it a couple times saying that, you know, a lot of White Sox fans are saying, of course, this is the year where uh, the White Sox get interrupted. And, uh, you know, just when everything is starting to look right, just the luck of White Sox fans that this is the season that can't happen and maybe the season won't happen. But, you know, as it stands now, uh, it's way worse to be a Twins fan. And I was I was thinking, you know, before that, you know, it's a bad situation for teams that were lined up well for the long haul and the twins, uh, they were hurt the sixth most by the shortened schedule. Their playoff chances dropped 16.6%. Just because a team like the White Sox over 60 games versus 162 can uh, do a lot more flukier things, especially like say if Michael Kopech is fully healthy and uh, Dylan Cease is ready to go. And then you have some maybe guys like Dane Dunning who might be able to step in and provide some depth that they didn't have before. 
uh, you know, Nick Magical being uh, a part of things, uh, I imagine early on and often and just having their best roster and best assortment of depth all lined up and ready to deploy. Uh, it's a lot better to be a third place team than a first place team in a situation like this. For the National League, Zips projected playoff. They have the Los Angeles Dodgers having home field advantage. The Atlanta Braves and Washington Nationals are projected to tie for the National League East. So we could see a game one, a game 61 uh, between the Braves and Nationals to decide who will be the number two seed and who will be the host of the one-game playoff. Uh, the Chicago Cubs are projected to win the National League Central will be the third seed. And the fifth seed, the final playoff team to reject it, is the San Diego Padres. Hmm. Very interesting. Again, the White Sox and Padres seem to be <laughs> sharing this rebuild timeline with one another. Uh, and obviously the whole Manny Machado thing. I think that'd be fascinating if both the White Sox and Padres found themselves in the playoffs, Jim. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the Padres. I'm also looking at the Reds because the Reds have had a couple of winters, uh, last two winners that uh, in, that featured paths the White Sox could have taken. Um, you know, two years ago, it was being aggressive when the numbers weren't necessarily in their favor trying to force a window open. It didn't quite work, although not in the way everybody anticipated it. The, the pitching was fine. Uh, the offense dried up, especially around the infield, that when the infield that looked so strong, uh, it didn't materialize. But this time around, they're competing for similar players, had similar positions to fill. The Reds went a different route with it. And so I'm following them as well, just because uh, I like teams that are aggressive and try to win and, and try to make their teams uh, more watchable, even if the, you know, bubble slash window slash uh, wind curve uh, suggests they're not there yet. I think it's fun when teams ignore the numbers. So next week, Jim, we are back with spring training 2.0. We just went through as far as the testing well, and how camp will work. Knock on wood. Yeah. Knock, knock on wood. Uh, the new rules and the schedule. Are you ready to go back on the grind? Yeah, it was, you know, as we we're talking and I had to rattle off starting pitchers names, I realized I hadn't done that in a long time. Just actually talking about which players could be used against what teams was uh, very refreshing. It was a muscle I hadn't used in quite a long time, so I might be sore tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> but I'm hoping this, you know, there's a lot of my brain that says uh, this shouldn't, this shouldn't probably work. It probably won't work, but uh I, you know, it kind of feels like almost being irresponsible if you don't bring it up how it, you know, it shouldn't work and you shouldn't get your hopes up. You know, but I also realized at the same time that's not fun. So I guess I'll try to limit my disclaimers to like being responsible. If the league decided didn't want to play or thought it was unsafe, I'd totally understand and support that. But for the time being, you know, it is a bit of an oasis of normal baseball talk when we haven't had it for so long. And so I do want to appreciate that as well. So I will try to keep it in check and I'll try not to be too much of a Pierce Downer, uh, even if uh, uh, the public health part of my brain suggests that, uh, you know, somebody needs to bring it up. No, that's a good point because especially in Chicago, just because we're entering phase four and everything seems to be returning slowly back to normal in Chicago, that's not the case everywhere else. And Major League Baseball is just not going to tell 15 teams you're not playing baseball this year just because the Midwest can play baseball. Uh, I think the, the West is going to be fascinating in not a good way, Jim, yeah. on how their season unfolds. 
Uh, the east, at least you have the northeast, which seems to be getting better as far as the situation. But, man, keep an eye on Florida, Texas, and Arizona, especially what on how those states react because they open up first, and now they're, they're getting hit really hard. And it'll just add to the Major League Baseball as far as the league's office on trying to find homes because, again, they still have to find a home for the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, then you, know, you have the uh, subplot, too, in Nashville where I guess they're going to – or they've talked about using the Nashville Sound Stadium to host – uh, a couple teams of free agents, you know, a couple teams worth just to keep them active and uh, able to you know, be in baseball shape, um, you know, if teams need them or if teams want them. And uh, Nashville and Tennessee, they're having similar problems to Arizona and Texas and so forth, not on that scale, but uh, record increases in new cases and hospitalizations and totally going the wrong way when it comes to combating coronavirus. So to have players come in making $400 a week and giving minimal supervision and, uh, you know, who knows, maybe dietary, uh, assistance seems like a really bad idea, but it just, you know, that's kind of where, you know, if that's being considered, then it does raise doubts as far as how seriously baseball is taking the whole endeavor. But again, you know, Chicago has, uh, seemed to do pretty well, or at least better than a lot of areas when it comes to, uh, combating this and, you know, Fans in Chicago, especially the ones who have been responsible and patient and who have devoted uh, you know, a lot of mental resources to getting through it, they deserve a treat. So I, I don't want to, uh, to rain on that. As far as our podcast schedule, we're going to be skipping as far as on Monday. We will return next Wednesday when Spring Training 2.0 does start. Because, again, that will be July 1st, and the 4th of July weekend is coming. So we're going to give ourselves that weekend off. We're also going to give listeners a weekend off because... A lot of fireworks in the background of the recording. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of fireworks, dogs howling. Not the great greatest for audio uh, when it comes to recording <laughs> a podcast. Uh, but then we're going to get back into the grind as far as covering spring training. I don't think there's going to be any televised games or any streams of inner squad games. Um, but we'll try to pick up and try to address as far as the, the roster decisions that Rick Khan will have to make. And then we'll also look at fantasy baseball uh, and betting on this upcoming season as well. Cause those things come back as well uh, into our lives. They'll, they'll make the game fun. Uh, so that's what you'll be looking forward to as far as the Sox machine podcast uh, in the upcoming weeks as we march closer to opening day. And of course, any updates that happen with baseball and the Chicago, White Sox, make sure to go to SoxMachine.com and follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. But that will do it for this special edition episode of Sox Machine Live. Major League Baseball is returning in 2020, which is great news. And hopefully with a little bit of luck, they can get through this season without any major hiccups. And who knows, maybe the Chicago White Sox will finally break the losing streak and maybe break the postseason streak as well in 60 games in the 2020 season. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you can listen to podcasts. And this production is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. El nuevo crispy chicken sandwich de McDonald's es... Cruyente, tiernito, oh. Es pollo en la McDonald's, un mordisco y... Wow. Es el nuevo crispy chicken sandwich. Ordena por anticipado en el app de McDonald's. Para pa, pa, pa. En McDonald's participantes. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran... Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.